0: Have you guys ever, do you care if I bring some Zima on? Yes, I care if you bring Zima. Zima doesn't count. Zima, oh. Zima's, Dr. Dongo. Anyway, join us every Saturday for a podcast that delves into the craft brew world.
1: The following is a Journey into Comics Network production. You may five and ready. In a galaxy far, far away. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. The journey into comics network Patreon presents...
0: It's an energy field created by all living things.
1: The Podcast Menace. A podcast 100% dedicated to Star Wars. It's energy. Surround us. With your hosts, Brandon Stone and Tyler McLaughlin. We would
0: be honored. Join
1: us. Welcome, everyone, to the debut episode of the Podcast Menace. This is the only podcast on the Journey into Comics Network 100% completely dedicated to the fandom and love of Star Wars. Thank you for joining us today on this, the day of our free premiere here on the network. And of course, I am one of your hosts, Brando, and the other lovable, gracious host of this show, my good buddy
0: Tyler. What's up, everybody?
1: Welcome to the show, everybody. This show has been in the making for
0: almost a month or two now. Well, total time is like three months. Yeah. Maybe well, a little bit longer than that. It's been
1: it kind of stewing in my head ever since sort of like we we got done doing the Star Wars episode on the Journey to Comics show uh, when we reviewed Last Jedi. And it seemed like across the network, not just us, but almost every show in some respect, following The Last Jedi, talked about The Last Jedi. And during The Last Jedi is when I'm like, man, I, I want to talk more Star Wars stuff more often. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, you know what? Tyler really knows his shit. He's like, I could talk to Star Wars with a lot of folks, but it's like, you're the one dude that I've met so far that can really 100% challenge my knowledge as far as, like, holy crap, dude. I don't even know if I know that 100%.
0: I feel like that if, so when we did the Last Jedi kind of uh, review right after the movie, you know, it was really late at night, mm-hmm. and we had all had a long day at that point anyway, I feel like if we had a little bit more kind of resolve or just energy more than anything, we would have still been talking Star Wars at like six or seven o'clock in the morning.
1: Well, there was so much to digest with that movie. Seeing that movie again helped me further like my own opinion of that movie because that movie is so divisive among fans
0: right. And then, you know, while we were dissecting the last Jedi, we started talking about themes and parallels and all the other stuff in the total Star Wars universe as a whole and how that tied in and influenced The Last Jedi. And then, you know, like all of us always do, we ramble a little bit, we get on tangents, and it's like all of this shit is relative. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I can talk Star Wars all day, every day. It has been, you know, I have a lot of hobbies. I have a lot of... Uh, things that I'm a big that I consider myself a major fan of, things like Mass Effect, you know, of course the Tolkien stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm way behind on Game of Thrones, so I can't really say that for sure. Definitely a fan. But Star Wars always eclipses everything. And Star Wars in itself was influenced by so many big things in previous times. You know, you, you listen to George Lucas and he's like, well, Flash Gordon you know, I saw Flash Gordon, read Flash Gordon when I was a kid, and it's like that was one of the biggest things that influenced mm-hmm. him and made him create all this stuff anyway. And Star Wars, not just on the storytelling or science fiction level, it influenced cinematography and special effects. And Star Wars is a part of I don't I don't wanna just say American culture because it's influenced worldwide but it's a, it's a part of everything any major movie in the last 20 years has had to look at what star wars did in 1977 and say this this was big and the uh, you know with cgi and a lot of the stuff now we've moved on from practical special effects but but ilm i mean absolutely
1: star wars gave us ilm absolutely and ilm is responsible for so many other uh movies like throughout the eight, like Spielberg movies mm-hmm. you, you can just look at almost any movie uh, that has big special effects not every single one of them but even if they're not like associated with Lucas or Spielberg or any of these other like uh, companies you'll see the ILM may have done work on it absolutely you know, they've there they've definitely became a big effects house but you know Star Wars is entrenched in film history mm-hmm. and in and in worldwide history as far as like culture and pop culture it was something that nobody expected this thing to have become what it became.
0: Well, especially, you know, Star Wars kind of set the precedent for taking, uh, I don't want to say no-name actors, but but either unknown or actors with a very small following and blowing them up. hmm yeah. And, you know, every every couple of years we'll have... I whenever I think about this, I think about Sam Worthington. You know, he came in with Avatar, Clash of the Titans, Wrath of the Titans. He had very few films in a very short amount of time and it took him straight to the top, you know, with Avatar especially. So that that as far as the the actor side um, of the filmmaking industry, it gave all of us people who are like, Hey man, I, I, I think I could do that. You know, you look at Harrison Ford, he had, what, American Graffiti, and that's maybe it? Yeah. He, he, and he was a carpenter. Yeah, he,
1: was, he wasn't even supposed to be in the movie. He that's was right. just doing table reads or, or test ratings. Mm-hmm. For other actors, he was just the placeholder. Yep. And then you think about the other actors who tested for Han. Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell's an amazing
0: actor. Absolutely. Well, especially in the time period. You know, in the 70s and, and the 80s... And that was right before he blew up. That's I mean, right.
1: You know, he was another kind of young and up-a-comer at the time. You know, walking, of all people, you know. It would have been crazy to to hear it, but, like, even back then. But, you know, Star Wars did blow up, and it did become something bigger. And we kind of hope the same thing for this podcast. We Absolutely. We definitely, definitely wanted to start this thing going up. And what you guys are hearing today is the first official episode. It is free on the network across podcast services all, all across the galaxy, and uh, the rest of these episodes are going to be on the Journey to Comics Patreon, and they're, they're going to be a part of the exclusive content deal for $3, and the reason for that is that we're trying to really kind of grow ourselves and really help support the network, and we thought, what better way than to help give you guys, like, sell you guys on it than to give you guys even more stuff, mm-hmm. you know, not only, you know. You know, for a dollar, you get early access, but for three dollars, you get this show exclusive every single month. And there's more shows coming down the line, and you get early access to every single show. That's right. As soon as it's done, it's there. So your podcast feed is going to be chock full of like so much stuff. All, you know, every single day, there's something uploaded quality stuff. Exactly. Not just
0: stuff. Yeah. We all put a lot of time and effort. Um, You know, we all have busy lives. We're all working adults. We have families. We put a lot of time and effort into doing our best at these po- at, at doing these podcasts. So $3 a month would definitely help us out.
1: Oh, well, dude, 3 bucks a month. I mean, what's that like? A cheeseburger and fries, you know? Right. So uh, definitely consider that, and we hope you do kind of come along and join on our Star Wars journey with us over on the Patreon. But for now, sit tight, and we're going we're gonna to break down some of the stuff that's been going on lately in Star Wars. Of course, we are like right in the smack dab in the middle in between The Last Jedi mm-hmm. and Solo. And it, it's it's a really neat place to be because we still don't know really what Solo holds for us. Uh, it is something that has made a lot of fans nervous due to all the rumors and conjectures and all of the problems and the director shifts and, and tone shifts, whatever. And then we're coming off of Last Jedi, which, as I said before, was a very divisive movie across the fan base, which, honestly, that I like that because when everybody loves something that's cool but then when it, when something is divisive that's when you know it's good.
0: Well, when when you and I sit down and we talk about last jedi though we hold a lot of the same opinions, you know, you and I can each break down the same scene and we take entirely different things away from it. Sure, people people have been rambling in the streets, and you know, shortly after the the movie premiered, people were sending Ryan Johnson death threats. And you know, obviously, Star Wars fans are some of the most powerful and numerous fans of anything. Uh, I don't I don't think that a bad Star Wars movie or a bad um, if my opinion of a Star Wars movie is bad, I don't think that justifies sending somebody death threats. But that just goes to show how how strong our fan base is, and we expect greatness. You know, it's it's funny because we are such a fickle group.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, we, we came off of the original trilogy and then had the original trilogy sort of force-fed down our throats with changes. Right. And changes that were happening all the way until he sold the rights, li- like literally, like the, the like the Blu-ray, the Blu-ray copies were my most irksome out of all of them. That's my own thing. I, I don't need blinking Ewoks. I don't need additional Vader lines when the the scene doesn't call for him to say anything.
0: Right the. Really, the only thing that I didn't nitpick was Jabba's inclusion in A New Hope Mm -hmm. when they're in Mos Eisley. That was really the only one of those that I didn't nitpick. I don't need Vader yelling. Unnecessary. I don't need, like you said, blinking Ewoks. That was weird as shit, especially from, you know, when I was a kid, I had the original trilogy on VHS. I also had uh, the Ewok adventure kind of double Mm -hmm. pack And then, you know, the Ewok cartoons, the droid cartoons on VHS. I had anything that I could have Star Wars, I had it. Right. And in those movies, the Ewoks didn't blink. So it's like I watched the original trilogy. Then I watched the Ewok adventures, which, you know, I might you and I could sit and just trash it as adults. But when you're a kid, that's that's extremely entertaining. It's fun, you know, and and as a child, the Ewoks are so so entertaining, you know. You're a little kid. They're a little like forest bear thing.
1: Yeah. Well, the, it will it definitely it definitely suits the kids. As right, well. Absolutely. And it's then And
0: it. then you're a t. Te- you know, when I was a, a a late teenager, early adult, and I and I saw blinking Ewoks for the first time, I'm like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. Why threw me, off. It threw me they, off. They don't need to blink, you know. And then and then you really you hone in on their eyes, and they're blinking, and then you start to look at all the rest of your face, and you start to nitpick. You know, they're just, I don't need to nitpick Ewoks. It's you unnecessary. You know, this is something that I read or heard recently, and I, I
1: can't remember where I heard it or, or even where I came across this at, and it was it had to do with George Lucas and him talking about the thing that he created, mm-hmm. you know, why we're here today. And, he, you know, he left directing and writing. I mean, he I guess he still wrote. He did the Indiana Jones movies and Howard the Duck, <laughs> be that as it may. Uh, but it got to a point later on in his life where he's like, I kind of want to revisit star Wars and I want to, I, I feel like there's more stuff that I could do. And one thing that George has always wanted to do is put something to film that he would like to see is mm-hmm. something that he feels either hasn't been done or that he could put his own stamp on. Right. And so when he went to go to like Phantom Menace uh, and he like, go watch the documentary that came on the blu-ray for that or whatever it's a great documentary and if it, it, it might even change like how you view that movie uh, especially when you get to see the him and some of his other close confidants having screened the movie and they're like oh man uh yeah so this is not exactly kind of what i wanted it to be
0: what well, and i i was you know i'm one of the the i guess sorry few i guess that's how I'm going to put that, that actually enjoys the prequel trilogies. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people shit on it, for, and it's unnecessary. It's not unwarranted, but it's unnecessary. It's it's Star Wars. It was somebody who waited 30 years, not 30 years, but like 30 years from the original mm-hmm. to come back to something that they created and breathe life back into it. You know, because <clears throat> the late 90s, uh, in kind of in the lead up to Phantom Menace, Other than the Kenner, you know, the toy lines, the clothes, all the merchandise, Star Wars had kinda kinda gone dark.
1: A little bit. They and part of the getting the crowd riled up again in ninety seven was like the the special edition re releases. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, hey, you know, let's get this ball rolling again. Let's refamiliarize yourself with it and we're gonna go back in with Phantom Menace. So he came in and he did three more Star Wars movies and I both like and dislike several things about them. I definitely can and can watch them. You know, just because I say that Attack of the Clones is my least favorite over Star Wars movie does not mean it's not worth a watch. Absolutely. You know, uh, it's just the one I look forward to the least.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I could pick apart Attack of the Clones all day, um, but the action sequences were mm-hmm. good, the special effects were good. You know, obviously the dialogue was... sure very dry and rough a lot of times. Hayden Christensen, young actor, coming into his own. Again, giving young actors a chance. if If you were a young actor and your agent said, hey, I got a movie for you to possibly look at, read over this script and see what you think. Oh, what is it, you know? Oh, shit, it's Star Wars. Like... That's big.
1: See, and a lot of times, like, they wouldn't actually get the full script. Right. They would have to go and then read stuff that may not even be from the script. And then they wouldn't get the script until they'd already signed on. Right. You know, and then you, uh, I don't fully blame Hayden for his stuff. I absolutely don't either. Because it's it, it's George giving him the the, the direction. But more on to what I was going to say, though. George made his movies, and he wanted to make more movies. He wanted to go back. And he's like, okay, I made these three movies, we're going to do some Clone War stuff. He had ideas and how he wanted to continue post original trilogy. The orig- what he went with when he when he sold told dis- to Disney, he goes, "Here's my stuff, and my ideas." The thing is, is that they, he was like, he goes, "I wanted to make more Star Wars movies, but everybody would yell at me." It's like all all, all they do is yell at me. It's like, it, can you imagine? He created it, and they're like, "You don't know how to do it." And he's like, "I just, I want." I want to make him some more. In a, in a sense, he got bullied out of his own creation. Right. You know, and then, of course, you, you had the documentary People versus George Lucas and, and how really hardcore fans pushed him away from the thing that he created and loved and has so much, such a big part of his life. And it ultimately probably led to his decision to like, all right, then, all right, I guess if I can't do anything more with it, then why do I still have it? Right.
0: And he was smart to sell it to who he did Mm -hmm. because, you know, as a creator, it's like, well, you know, like you, you put it, he got bullied out of his own creation. So he basically got guilted into getting rid of it. And it's like, well, if I absolutely have to get rid of it, who better, you know, who, who could I, who could I give it to that would be better than Disney? Mm -hmm. You know, arguably the greatest storytelling um organization and history yeah you know nobody has written more stories nobody has uh produced more movies adapted stories right absolutely and
1: then of course with them acquiring different studios even the marvel studios Mm -hmm. and how they're the machine that feeds it but then they also have put the right people in charge you know so having kathleen kennedy who is always like kind of george right-hand girl and she's in charge of Lucasfilm. Mm-hmm. You know, she's the head honcho. Whatever she says goes. Right. And so when she is unhappy with the direction of Solo, and she goes, "I know this isn't what what our plan was," or Lawrence Kasdan, the writer, he's like, "You guys are trying to turn this into what it isn't." Right. And then the directors are like, "Well, we want to make our movie," and they're like, "You're making our movie." That's right remember that. It's like we're giving you so much level of freedom and you're you're allowed to do that, but this is a Lawrence Kazdan script. This is a Kathleen Kennedy produced movie. Well, Your and job is to adapt
0: it. You and I uh you made the comment the other day about Lawrence Kazdan, like this guy knows what the hell he's talking about. Yeah. You know, when this guy puts some when when this guy puts pen to paper you listen, you you do what's on the paper. You might ad lib and adjust a little bit. I mean that that's your creative freedom. Mm-hmm. But this guy knows Star Wars yeah. almost better than anybody.
1: Oh, he has he has the credentials. It I mean he's written what three of the biggest Star Wars movies of all time. Yep,
0: he does not need to justify what is on that paper to you as director. You are there to put his what's on the paper into motion and mm-hmm. picture. That's it.
1: Well, think about it. Think about the other directors and the other producers. Of course, the Empire mm-hmm. and Jedi. George was producer, so he already knew the story. Right. He wrote the story. Lawrence wrote the script. So they are, and then now it's up to the the director. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the director for Jedi, but Irvin Kershner did Empire. That's right. It's my, my ultimate favorite movie, and and the whole thing, which is a lot of people's. Right. But I know Irvin, and I've seen behind the scenes stuff, and they went forward for him to be that fundamentally upset and disagreeing with the direction for him to go to Kathleen Kennedy and say, I don't want that. It's got to, it had to have been such a stark difference to his vision because for him to be able to, because he's the writer and you have the director and then the producer. And it's like, you know, the writer doesn't always get what his vision is out there. It's going to be the director's uh, take on that. And that's pretty sure he's like, yeah, man. That's uh, that's that that a lot of the stuff is director's discretion as far as how stuff is delivered, presented, all this kind of stuff. Because I this is my framework. I give you the framework, but in a way with what it was being said about how they were trying to do a more a Thor Ragnarok approach, where they were like, well, here's the framework, but then we're if it's goofy and it
0: works, then let's go with that. Well, and that's what that's part of what I was so worried about when I when Solo was first announced. You know. I saw, and and I was happy to see that we have we have an um unrecognised, you know, up and coming actor playing solo, kind of a good homage back to, you know, the original trilogy and Harrison Ford as a whole, and then I start to see reports coming out about the movie, and the 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 biggest report that I saw was, and it it wasn't bashing this kid, but it was, and. I'm really bad with names and I can't remember his name off the top of my head but the guy that's playing solo not that he is a bad actor but he is he is unfit to fill this role the way that the directors were trying to push it mm-hmm. and Kathleen Kennedy and Disney were bringing in the best acting coaches in Hollywood and this kid this guy I keep calling him a kid but he's not a kid he's a guy this guy was not responding well to the coaching and some a couple of the coaches who remained anonymous said this guy's uncoachable and i was extremely disappointed you know that's a gut punch yeah because solo is you know we'll say obviously top 3 most recognizable luke vader han solo leia's there the honorable mention But he is top two fan favorite characters of all time. You know, he's the lovable anti-hero in the beginning and then, you know, makes his full transition into becoming the hero in the end. And it's like, good God, what, what are they letting happen to this character, to this, you know, what this story could be? Why are they letting this happen? And then it goes even deeper. You know, Ron Howard comes in and takes over. And at first it was like, Ron's going to do a 20% of the movie reshoot. Cool. He's going to tidy some stuff up. He's going to kind of get it back on track. Do some Joss Whedon stuff. Absolutely. Actually,
1: it it might might have turned out that Joss even did more than what was originally. I'm
0: sure sure we'll get the full story on that someday. Um, But then, you know, like two weeks later I saw another report. It was pretty much verbatim. But then it said, well, Ron has decided to shoot 50% of the movie, reshoot 50% of the movie with Kathleen's blessing. Because she, of course, was incredibly unhappy with where this movie was at the time. And then maybe four weeks, five weeks later, I saw another report by the um, the same writer that said, well, Ron has decided to reshoot the entire movie. They're eating you know, this this amount of budget mm-hmm. to reshoot the movie because what they had shot, even with Ron Howard's reshoots, was unwatchable. And as a Star Wars fan, it's like, good God. A Star Wars movie, as bad as Attack of the Clones was, as bad as fans say the original, or the prequel trilogy was, excuse me, and it's unwatchable, it's like... I. I'll wait for that to come out on Blu-ray. I don't want to. I don't want to waste my eight dollars to go see that in f- in theaters if it's that bad. Right. So everything that I have heard from that point until now with Ron Howard's reshoots and uh, how this this guy the 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 guy that's playing solo is responding to Ron Howard as a director is nothing but positive. It's you know we went from down in the swamp and now we're we're back on the mountaintop. So with the Super Bowl trailer. Or teaser, and then the trailer the following morning, and then I told you uh, a couple hours ago I saw a new image released on Twitter. It's got Han standing. It looks like in the entryway to a bar, or you know, a Moss Eisley type cantina, and he's kind of got an aggressive stance. And he's got his hand right next to his blaster, the old DL forty four, and it's really, really dark behind him. And then the, the only light in the in the image is coming from the bar in the in in front of him. So that was kind of a really neat teaser. Um, I, if I was Disney and Lucasfilm, going into the month of May, you know, we're almost in April now. Mm-hmm. Um, as this is being recorded, we're almost in April you've got arguably or possibly a movie that could eclipse every other film on all-time, like, opening day movie sales with Infinity War. That would be the time, if you're going to get one more trailer out... Get the fans really riled up and excited because they did that. You know they did that for the most part with the Super Bowl trailer. Mm-hmm. That that trailer is fantastic. But if you really want to give people, if you really want to justify people spending eight dollars on a movie ticket and forty dollars on concessions, <laughs>
1: yeah, no kidding.
0: That's the time to put out a trailer, and I think they'll do it. I I don't want to say one hundred percent for sure because um, I'm obviously not a part of Lucasfilm or Disney, but. I don't that that's not that's nothing but but good business. If they crank out another trailer, give us some different scenes, maybe tease a little bit, throw an easter egg or two in there. Yeah. That's the time to do well,
1: it. Well, do you kind of like you did with Infinity War? Uh, well, like a month before its release, Mm -hmm. you get some of the same scenes with different, like maybe a a shot right after. So it's just just a little bit different, but then it also just sprinkles in just so much more
0: and gives you the hype. Well, it sucks you down the rabbit hole. Exactly. It's like, especially for for us, a couple people that weren't excited for Solo, you Mm -hmm. know, in the last couple months, and then you see the Super Bowl trailer, and it's like, oh, I might change my mind about this. It definitely
1: got my attention. I'm not sure if I am super excited. I had the same air about me right now as I did about Rogue One. Mm-hmm. I I wasn't like hyped to see it, and maybe maybe that'll change once we get past Infinity War. Since that, I'm so hyped for that right, right now. Absolutely. And Maybe it'll change, but it, it's not the fact that I like. I'm dreading it, but it's also like, yeah, man, I'm gonna go see that. It, it's it's not that same hype that I had for Force Awakens or even Last Jedi. Last Jedi. Because for me, it, uh, for Rogue One, it was the unknown. It's like all these unknown characters. What's going on here? For this though, it's going to be the test. It's going to be like you're going to sit down and go, this could go great, or it could go bad. And odds are, for me, it's probably it, it it probably will be somewhere right in the middle. It's probably because there's no, uh, I I I will be surprised if this film really comes out and it's grand slam mm-hmm. because of all the all the problems right and there's no way that that doesn't lead to tone issues or you know as you said like howard comes in and and refilms stuff and that's obviously because he's sitting down getting handed him here's this scene here's this scene let's try and now he's got to try and piece together a film mm-hmm. and then he's seeing what he has and going okay well we can start telling this story he's looking at the script and he's pushing okay well, i got this the scene here the scene here the scene here Okay, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. We gotta put this over here. And then so now he's trying to structurally put together a film. That has gotta be so challenging and nerve wracking for him because I mean he's he's stepping into a big time stress situation. Uh of yeah, which is no hilarious because he turned down doing Phantom Menace way back when. Mm-hmm. They're like, Yeah, but why don't you do that? And he goes, I'm not going to be the guy that failed bringing back Star Wars. That's right. You know, and now he's going to be, now it's back, and it, it's doing great stuff now, but now he's he has a, quite the task ahead of him. I actually do have, just a little bit here, uh, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller left the film in June of 2017, mm-hmm. only three weeks away from finishing principal, print, uh, principal photography. They were almost done right. filming the original run of of all this stuff, so apparently they clashed throughout the production with Kathleen Kennedy, co writer Lawrence Kasdan, and other Lucasfilm members over the direction and tone of the film. Miller and Lord had been encouraging improvisation and making overall comedic film against Kasdan's wish for them to follow his script. Eventually, they stepped away, and essentially, this here uh, what I, this note that I have here said that. Howard has reshot more than 80%. So there's very little of the original shots and takes that were kept. Uh, The guy that plays Han Solo, uh, his name is Alden uh, Ehrenreich. And he was the first actor to audition. That's cool. And the director said in July of 2016, while they liked a lot of uh, the other actors who also auditioned, uh, uh, they said... The, the, the first guy that we saw was best for the part, and that eventually led them to cast him. Also, another really cool trivia note, uh, Woody Harrelson was picked over Christian Bale. That's cool. As uh, Han Solo's mentor.
0: I didn't realize that Christian had uh, drive or interest to be involved in well, Star Wars. he's a Wars. huge Star Wars fan. I knew he was a big fan, but I didn't know that he had any interest in actually getting involved Apparently in any the of the of franchises. Uh, I've
1: heard like about that. I'm not sure whether or not harrelson was picked over him or if uh, bale met with them and then they talked about it and he's like well maybe i'll, I'll step away from this one but apparently like he him and kathleen kennedy talked and, and there's room for their like you know she's open to saying, hey you know if we if we get the right part for you maybe, maybe i'll give you a call
0: i would like to see christian bale in star wars well, though i don't like him in a lot of things mm-hmm. you and i have talked many days about how christian bale is my least favorite batman yeah christian is a fantastic actor he, he has the ability to do a multitude of different things and, per, and actually do a good job of portraying emotions and, and, and tones and different things that a lot of people can't do. It's hard to get past the Batman voice for me and for a lot of people. I would love to see Christian Bale in a Star Wars movie of some sort.
1: I would love to. Well, because, okay, so he did the Batman stuff. And he did like a Terminator film, and like in the middle of that, and I he, really liked that one. I did too, but he still he but he was still so stuck in the Batman voice that whenever he was yelling, he was doing the Batman yell, right? And of course, I think back to like American Psycho, mm-hmm. and he also did The Prestige, right? Great films, you know. So he can definitely do some cool stuff. And I think having an actor with, the, you know, with the accolades of christian bale knowing that he was in those batman films and big blockbuster films is willing to put the time and effort in to either get in the right shape learn your roles learn learn learn, learn your scripts even get your your hands dirty with some of the stunts whatever right that me you know we have these newer star wars projects that were being thrown out like you get one you you know oprah's giving out star wars projects yeah. to everyone in the audience you know everybody gets a star wars project and when you're having brand new Star Wars properties kind of prop up, where you don't know what time frame, where they're going to be at, uh, what are we looking at here? All new characters, all new stories. Having an actor like Christian Bale or other possible big time actors, that's going to be part of the selling point, I feel, or what I would do. Hey, let's get Christian in and bring him in for this movie because they're not going. To, this isn't a Skywalker. This isn't a Vader. This mm-hmm. this isn't a Han Solo or or even a Chewbacca or even the droids. There is no visible thing here that's other than lightsabers, possibly, that is going to say this is a Star Wars movie, and of course spaceships and all that kind of stuff.
0: Right, especially if if Solo flops. Yes, you know if Solo flops, I don't see um, the powers that be, and that rhymed, and I didn't intend that, but they don't. <laughs> I don't see them saying, "All right, we're gonna pull Favreau. You can't have your Star Wars, whatever you're doing. I'm sorry." Game of Thrones dudes, sorry, give us that back. You're not, you know, this this was too bad. We, we messed up. We don't need all this Star Wars right now. If it flops, which I hope it doesn't, I don't think it's going to. No. I,
1: I think it's at least going to make its money.
0: Absolutely. Um, But exactly what you said, like, yeah, you guys might not might not have enjoyed Solo, but check this new project out. Christian Bale's involved, you know. Maybe Chris Pratt. Some of the some of the yeah. other big time actors right now it's like wow they're they're doing Star think Wars. Think
1: of all these dudes think of Chris Evans even mm-hmm. you know these guys are wrapping up on their Marvel stuff and uh, you know he's he's in good graces and he he's, he's got people in Disney and they're like, hey man, I know you're not you know I know you're just getting off of these big franchises, but here's a script. Tell us what you think. See well, if you're interested. Well,
0: look at like Chris Pine too. He yes. he's just done Wrinkle in Time. I don't know how that's doing in the box office. <laughs> Subpar, but Yeah, sure. from what I from what I do understand, not very well, um based on their expectations, um I think anything released right now is kind of going to get eclipsed by Black Panther. It
1: has been. It's been dude. that movie is now the number 1 rated Superhero movie in domestically, at least. And right. It's it, it's. I don't know if it's gonna get worldwide, but it's getting close. Mm-hmm.
0: So it, that's that's the bad thing for Disney. I think too many times they they do something and they have all these really high expectations, which they should. They're Disney, and then it it doesn't do just quite as well as they thought, and then they they consider it a failure. That's the same with a lot
1: of studios, though, because look at uh, when you look at some of the Warner Brothers DC stuff. Absolutely. Even with you know, Justice League is the worst performing film, and that is like, out of like what I consider to be like the films, other than Wonder Woman, one of the better ones as far as like being concise, telling a good story, having good characters, having good having a better script, having a better uh, you know better performances. But then you have a movie like BVS which had so much uh you know it was so divisive so many people like people like yeah this is an awesome movie and then there's people who are like this is the worst thing to ever come on the big screen ever right they've ruined these characters and i'm just like i don't know about that but then when it doesn't when it makes just a billion dollars and it's crazy to think of that the movie made a billion dollars and they're like yeah it wasn't enough it's a failure
0: well when when you have movie budgets that are like 8 900 million mm-hmm. And then you only you only eclipse your total production costs by a hundred million dollars. Apparently that's a failure. I, I would imagine making a hundred million dollars is is a really enjoyable thing to do. Um so yeah, we're we're in a weird time in cinema as a whole because it it seems like to me, you know, I saw Pacific Rim on Saturday. Yeah. IGN gave it a six point five out of ten. They're considering it a flop. A lot of reviewing, um, kind of sources are considering it a flop. I thought it was entertaining. I thought it was just as good as the first one. It did what it needed to do. It's a giant fighting robot movie. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I think we've got our expectations set way too high on most of the stuff that we're watching. Which we have that right as consumers. You know we expect a good product, um, but. The, the budgets on all these major projects are just getting so astronomical. I don't know how without any without any issues whatsoever how you could ever imagine projecting that amount of money. You know what I mean? There there's a lot of variables involved. And that's like I said, that's still why I'm worried about solo, because it obviously didn't have a small budget.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to find a budget for solo. I'm having issues finding it. Maybe that hasn't maybe it hasn't really been uh divulged yet. Maybe more so when it comes out when right. we start getting numbers we might be having uh you know more accurate information as far as like you know it made X amount and it was shot for this cuz like for example like Black Panther was a 200 million dollar movie. Mm-hmm. And it's made over a billion dollars. Right. That is a crazy
0: percentage like it is like more than it's It's working on quadrupling and that's that's funny too because I, I could pick black panther apart because of its cinematography sure it's uh too much blur i'm not a big fan of blur
1: yeah yeah and we actually have talked about that as far as the cinematography on that movie like it just a lot of the like a lot of times like like when you do effects it's one way to like kind of cover up for something not looking as, it, 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 just imagine if if Justice League just made Superman blurry mm-hmm. <laughs> when they fixed his mustache. mustache with as bad as that looks. Sometimes I'm glad they just didn't make him blurry because it would have made it worse. I mean, he is faster than a speeding bullet. He could have just been like,
0: "I'm gonna go so shave ner- this real quick." Got <laughs> yeah,
1: so nervous, right? But yeah, no, I can't find any sort of like thing about Solo's uh, budget. I, I I do wonder because if he reshot 80 percent of the movie, that is pretty drastic.
0: That's yeah. That's definitely not cheap because you're not just paying the actors for their screen time. You're paying the production crews and you're paying the assistants bringing you coffee. Yes, you know every couple of hours, which is obviously not a lot individually, but all that adds up. And that's you know, like I said, there's there's so many people involved in these projects now. You know, there's a there's a hundred editors for one scene. Oh so, I mean, it, it's stuff like that where the, these budgets are just going to keep going up and up. And think about all these smaller
1: companies that are filling in with effects shots, whether or not uh, they're effects that we even notice or see. Because uh, there was a guy that we worked with who is associated with a company out in California, and they worked on Black Panther. They did effect stuff for Black Panther. That's cool. Then they could only work on like so much of the movie at a time because they were being so secretive about spoilers and all that kind of stuff. And they were just given, okay, you work on this thing and you have no other context. Do this, this, and this. And Uh they said, okay, we'll do that. And so when they turn back back in, then they get another scene. Okay, work on this. Excellent context. That's it. And that's very interesting to me because then when you go to the theaters and you see these big blockbuster movies, whether they're Star Wars or not, You know, I mean, the credits are ten thousand, you know, years long, like, like especially, and 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 now, see, like Marvel has almost conditioned you to sit through them because you're waiting for that after credit, and now all these people who worked on this movie, you might see their name, or you know, they're at least getting recognized, exactly, and 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 that's why I really do dig like after credit scenes are almost becoming like every movie has an after credit, but that's like, I get it, you know, even DC. On the Justice League, did after credit scenes? They did well, two of them.
0: I saw the new Fifty Shades of Grey movie a couple or a month ago. Yeah, in February. Yeah, it had an after credit scene. Did it really? So when you've got romance movies now popping in after credit scenes, you've you've set a trend, and and people are sticking with it.
1: Yeah, it makes me wonder if we'll ever see that with Star Wars, because for so long, you know, when a Star Wars movie is done. When that iconic credit music hits, it's always the same music, no matter if it's a main movie, side movie, even video games, right? Uh, TV shows, you it, uh, it's always that same initial credit sequence that that coda, if you will. And it, it'd be so weird to have that happen. Oh, movie's over, but it's not over for Star Wars because I would love to see it personally. It would be cool, but at the same time, it's like to me that's like end. You know, they're so like you can tell your story within it. And you don't necessarily have to have it, but it does shed light on all these people. All Absolutely, because they deserve
0: they deserve to be to get recognition. Absolutely, because the amount of work that they put in is leaps and bounds above, you know, the amount of work that somebody puts in on a Star Wars movie. And I, I'm not going to say this with a hundred hundred percent certainty, but when you're when you've got Disney, you know, I don't want to say breathing down your neck, but when you've got Disney holding you accountable when you when Kathleen Kennedy knows you by name as uh, scene 5 take 2 editor number 3 bob jimmy Kathleen Kennedy knows you mm-hmm. that gives you incentive you know not only to work harder but then it's like look at what I did I might not have did done much compared to ever compared to the guy playing Han Solo but I was a part of this and I did something and, so and think about how much,
1: how much that fills them in. They're working in the industry. They're doing mm-hmm. what I, I would assume is their dream job. Absolutely, or or at least to some extent, and they get to tell their family, "I worked on a Star Wars movie." Well, and, I worked on this movie.
0: You know, I, I'm I'm very strong in my belief that we, um, as workers in today's workforce, should not seek validation in the things that we do. Um, I think that's that's a that's a bad habit to get into. But having the Like if, if, if myself as an editor Sat down and it's like Okay, I've watched the movie I'm rolling through the credits And it's like, whoa Hey, there's my name yeah You know, that's, that's, that's validation Unnecessary or otherwise But that is a good feeling You know It's like you see your name on the employee of the month board Hey Look at that yeah. You know, I did it's some, I did some stuff. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So real quick, I, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt. Go for it. Um, I've got an article from last year, last November. All of the projections from a lot of companies are saying that Solo has somewhere around 150 million production budget. Originally
1: Not, or after everything
0: said no. This was during, uh, this was right at the start of the reshoots. Okay, so... From what
1: this is saying, yeah. So that is probably before reshoots, and that's then they allocated more money mm-hmm. towards the project. So, um... So, yeah, we're not so, looking at, like, Pirates of the Caribbean record-breaking $330 million budget, but we're looking at at least over a $200 million budget. It would have movie. to.
0: So the, the, the big line here, the headline here, it says, Nonetheless, the change in director and copious reshoots are absolutely going to add a pretty penny... To what we have to assume was at least a hundred and fifty million dollar production. So this is, these are obviously not hard numbers or facts. This is a prediction or kind mm-hmm. of uh, assumption. But I think a hundred and fifty million at absolute minimum is is a good is what I would put it at. You know, if if you're Disney, you're not gonna you're not gonna throw like. Uh, What's a good one that I remember Sherlock Holmes Sherlock Holmes had a 90 million dollar production budget even with big name actors like Robert Downey jr and um, Jude law you know still was only 90 million so I would say um, that's a reasonable figure as far as uh, not having any of the facts
1: I just saw this news article uh, not to change the subject. But just as like a late breaking news type thing, it's just just today as we record this. So, th- th- so we're recording on Monday. It's coming on Friday. So hopefully, it's still out there for you guys. Star Wars Battlefront Two, mm-hmm. uh, of course, it was more than a lot of controversy with the whole, like in the video game world as far as like the whole uh, microtransactions and how it went about them. It ruined that game. Uh, it has been completely overhauled and changed now. Apparently, but. Uh, for PlayStation 4, you can pick up this game at Walmart for 20 bucks right now. Might be worth it for 20 bucks. That's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, you know what? Maybe. I don't know if I will because I never did pick up the original one. Uh, I played the beta, and I was like, yeah, I'm good. You know,
0: I kind of had my fill, but I mean. Well, on that same topic, so I saw an article two days ago in the morning. We were on break. And it said that EA reintroduced the microtransactions to Battlefront 2, which they had taken out after fan backlash uh, over the progression and you know the necessity of the the microtransactions. Later that day, the same day after they reintroduced them, the second article that I read was EA accepts the mistake that they have made and again removes. Microtransactions from Star Wars Battlefront Two, and changes progression yet again.
1: Mm-hmm. I got some. Uh, I got some headlines here. Go ahead. Solo, a Star Wars story. Actor details film's troubled production. So Lucasfilm shocked. You know the whole transition and all the stuff we already kind of talked about. Um, I'm trying to see who said this. Oh, a source who chose to remain anonymous. So apparently this person acted on the film, um, but they're not wanting to come out and say who they are. Phil and Chris are good directors, but they weren't prepared for Star Wars, a source who chose to remain anonymous, shared with Vulture. After the 25th take, the actors are looking at you. They're like, this is getting weird. And Lord Miller seemed a bit out of control. They definitely felt the pressure uh, with one of these movies. And there are so many people on top of you all the time the first assistant director was really experienced and had to step in and help out to direct a lot of scenes. That's just from every, for, you know, when we're talking about the, the directors getting moved and getting them out of like, you know, taking off the project, a lot of people just assumed that, that these guys were like the wronged ones in the situation. Mm-hmm. This is just kind of sharing a different side of the story, saying that these guys were ill-prepared for what they were signing up for. Uh, the, the, the directing duo previously helmed the Lego Movie and the 21 Jump Street films, which were more rooted in comedy and improvisation and innovation. A Star Wars film, on the, on the other hand, has many more limiting factors that can be, that can be a pop, accomplished in any given scene, which reportedly contrasted with their directing styles. Howard, on the other hand, is an Academy Award-nominated director whose direction of the project changed the filming atmosphere almost immediately. When he came on, he took control and you could feel it, the source confirmed. He got respect immediately. He's really confident and really easy guy to work with. Another reported issue with the film came before Lord and Miller's departure with star uh, Alden Ehrenreich requiring an acting coach to improve his take on the iconic character. According to the source, the acting coach had had a major positive impact on his portrayal of Han Solo.
0: See, that that's a complete opposite from that article that I read
1: right uh, trying to mimic Harrison Ford is really tough the source noted Lucasfilm wanted something very specific copying someone else uh, old's not a bad actor he's just not good enough you know for to do that
0: mm-hmm.
1: they added you could see his acting became more relaxed he became more Harrison like ultimately the the source implied, that Lucasfilm has a lot riding on Solo following the backlash The Last Jedi received from some audiences, in addition to its box office totals being slightly under opening weekend projections. Uh, they have to make Solo good after Last Jedi. Didn't make as much money as, as, as expected, This source pointed out. They want to keep making Star Wars movie, movies It has to be good. And of course, uh, uh, it goes on to say that Solo comes out on May
0: 25th. I bet this is Donald Glover think so i almost i almost guarantee it
1: it may yeah i was instantly thinking it's donald glover or woody harrelson mm-hmm. saying this it's
0: got to be one of the two um
1: it just kind of sounds like it could be either one of our voices saying that
0: mm-hmm. it's interesting
1: uh it it as i said it paints it a whole different light for the directors it it it, it definitely that them as not having control of the situation them wanting to do their style and them going no 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 you can do a little bit but let's this that we have we have a road to go on
0: well I find it hard to believe that if you and I were were Lord Miller and we sat down with Kathleen Kennedy and she's like okay this is what you've done we would like to offer you the contract to do the Han solo film you understand this is a very big thing mm-hmm Here's the script, look it over, or here's a portion of the script, look it over, get back in contact with me and let me know um, kind of what you're thinking. I do not imagine Kathleen Kennedy saying, you have full control of this project in any way, shape, or form. I imagine her being very um, kind of concise and to the point and saying, here is here is our vision. This is what we expect. You do have creative freedom. You can you can ad-lib some stuff if if you want. You can throw in, you know, as you put it, sprinkle a little bit of your own flair on it. But this is the vision that we have. Mm-hmm. This is what we expect. We we as a company believe that you have the tools to do this.
1: It's also a little different, considering that these two didn't help write this movie, right, because you know I'm sitting here thinking as we're talking about this, and how much control they actually had over the movie, and it definitely seems like they had they thought they had more than what they were given- mm-hmm. and when you think about j j. Abrams or Ryan Johnson, it definitely seems like when you're talking about those guys like episode seven, episode eight, their movies like it everything rides on them, right. Everything you hear, it's like JJ's movie, Ryan's movie, and everyone's looking at Ryan's movies and the decisions that he made to be risky and do make the movie that he made. Rides and falls on him, and it's like you're not you're not hearing that with this with this project. You're you're not saying like the sole success of that movie rides on these guys, directors and their vision of the story and the story because they didn't write the story. Kazdan and Kazdan's son, right, wrote the story. And it's their job to then adapt that. Whereas when you had episode seven was written by Kazdan and J.J. Mm-hmm. And then you had Ryan Johnson. And I don't know if... I think he wrote uh, Last Jedi with somebody else, but I can't remember his name. I can't remember hand. his name either. But...
0: I think part of that, though, is you as a production company, if you're, if you're wanting... Let's step outside of the, the kind of Star Wars box. If you're just going to do a science fiction movie and you are, you know, you're at the board and you're like, okay, who are we going to get to, who do we want to get to direct this movie? And you look at all the major sci-fi films, we'll just say of the last decade, why would you not, why would you think of anyone before J.J. J. Abrams? Look at the s- success that he had with the s- the Star Trek films. Yeah, And he is very, he, he, J.J. Abrams fits very well, I, I would say, into the Disney Lucasfilm culture. You know, he's not a he's not a difficult to, guy to uh, get along with, from what I've read and seen interviews with. He's a very easygoing guy. Um, he takes direction very well, uh, kind of from people higher up. But he he walks on set and he kind of commands that presence or that respect and presence already, because. I'm seasoned, I know sci-fi. I might not know Star Star Wars 100%, but mm. I know sci-fi enough that you know, cut me a little slack here. You know, let's let's let this play out and then you'll be able to see what I'm trying to get at. And the same thing with Ryan Johnson. He he's a fantastic director. So when you've got two un, I I would I would call them underexperienced. You've got 21 Jump Street lego movie lego movie uh eh, you know i can't i i can't in good conscience compare 21 jump street to the original star trek movie i can't compare the lego movie well think about like the sheer size and scope
1: absolutely of not just the movie but then all these effects and all this stuff that you're mm-hmm. doing when they hired jj they knew what they were hiring him for mm-hmm. and they knew what he was and they knew that he was a super fan and that's not to say these guys are fans but he knew what they're looking for mm-hmm. and his vision to match that. And then with Ryan, and they're bringing him in and they're working with him and they are digging what he's putting down. Hence, like that, that there wasn't a butting of heads there. Mm-hmm. They liked what he did so much that before it even came out, they gave him more movies and said, you just did something really awesome. Yeah. Speaking of that, I have another article about Andy Serkis recalls how he learned about Supreme Leader Snoke's fate. And, of course, that was a pretty divisive thing among fans. Mm-hmm. So,
0: Very controversial.
1: Uh, one of the biggest surprises fans witnessed in The Last Jedi was the demise of Supreme Leader Snoke at the hands of Kylo Ren.
0: I still don't think he's dead. I just want to throw that out there. Sure. I mean, is that my kid? Yeah
1: folks if you've listened to the to this podcast network before we've all got kids dogs cats and they like to make surprise appearances on the podcast by yelling barking or meowing at the door um my kid is probably out there being very unruly doing stuff he's not supposed to be doing which is typical for a toddler
0: barking yelling and meowing at the door <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, back to this though and Andy circus you know he was like you know he's like he recalls that he was the first time he read the scene was left him in a state of semi-shock. He said he was taken to his trailer on the lot at Pinewood Studios, where he was, where he was to read the script for the first time on a tablet. He says we were never handed uh, handed scripts
0: and had to uh,
1: hand back the tablet as soon as we were done.
0: I, I can kind of see that, though, you know. If I'm Andy Circus, you know I take that I take that back to my trailer. I leave my trailer. I might leave the the script laying next to my sink mm-hmm. in my trailer. A production assistant walks in, grabs a hold of this. Yep, grabs a hold of the script, and they're like, "Oh shit! Look what I've got here! Let me get my smartphone out that even has if a camera." A,
1: even if they only get a few pages,
0: and then that instantly goes on Reddit, goes on the internet, and then it blows up, and then Disney's like, "What the hell has happened?" You know, Fucking circus. how could how could you let this happen? You know. Yeah. And then you know, so I I can, even though it's a little bit Big Brother ish, I can see that. All right. So he says, uh,
1: "Where was that?" I? I was swiping through the story and landed on this epic scene where Snoke is goading Kylo Ren to kill Ray to fulfill his destiny. It was riveting. The tension building with each line. I just couldn't work out where it was heading. And then, as I swiped up, and then I swiped up, and there it was—the end. Not for Rey, not for Kylo Ren, but for the Supreme Leader, just gone. Not only did the weight of this character's death weigh heavily on the actor, but also the pressures on keeping the details a secret. I walked out of the trailer in a state of semi-shock, feeling the weight of knowing I would have to mask a great secret for a very, very long time. And that, my brother, a massive Star Wars fan, was. Uh, it was going to be heartbroken. This that isn't to say that Circus wasn't happy with the final film, uh, as he admired the directions that Ryan Johnson took with the film. I love what Ryan did, he admitted. I thought it was a brilliant scene. One of the most disappointing elements of not getting to play Snoke again potentially, is that getting to tap into that primal evil helped the actor purge negative emotions from his life. There's something delicious getting yourself into such a dark place. It's very much examining the darkest parts of yourself and in a safe environment. It's actually very good therapy.
0: That's that's really good to hear because you know with the whole Heath Ledger thing um, and how playing the Joker led to his um, untimely death. It's it's really uh, kind of heartwarming to to hear that somebody who's going through some stuff. Can kind of uh dive into a character and mm. and and kind of leave that behind, thanks to an imaginary thing you know we we all as people deal so much with mental health and illness um, you know as the as the years go on, we figure out that our brains are a very flawed thing and are not meant to deal with a lot of the stuff that we have to deal with as individuals in our lives. It's real. It's really. It's really uh, I want to. I. I hate to use the word heartwarming, but you know, it makes you feel good to to hear that Andy Circus of all people, you know, a superstar in the film industry. You know, he might he might not be Brad Pitt or George Clooney walking down the street, but when Andy Circus shows up, if Andy Circus walked into a coffee shop everyone in that in that coffee shop is going to know who he is because mm-hmm. he's done so much. And everything that he's done is so good. Yeah. You know, he's pioneered mocap, which is now motion performance, as, as he calls it. Um, but he pioneered it. He's done more than anybody. And he's the most recognizable of, and I don't want to take anything away from uh, motion performance actors, but he is the most recognizable of anybody right now. I think.
1: Oh, well, I mean, he's definitely paved the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, uh, with his most recent Apes films, I mm-hmm. mean, he, he really knocked it out of the park with some of these performances that they were able to translate onto an imaginary thing that's not even there. Right? It's
0: crazy. Um, I really, I really dig Andy Circus. He's a really down-to-earth dude, same. but he he wants perfection in what he's doing. And of course, apparently,
1: just to tap off with the Snoke thing. Uh, They intentionally kept it secret. If apparently there was like uh, almost an order kind of handed down, you know how we said Ryan had all these direct, he had all this control. Apparently there was an order handed down saying don't reveal too much because we want to keep some close to the chest just in case we want to do a book or uh, a movie or a prequel or something that might tie into that character and we might be able to cash into that later on.
0: Well, that scene is so powerful in in itself. The whole red. as Nate called it, the red room scene. Oh, man. Uh, That gave me chills watching that. Absolutely. Uh, But, you know, if I'm Daisy Ridley and um, Adam Driver and I'm going to shoot this scene for the first time and I may not know that I'm about to kill Snoke or witness Snoke being killed and then that's what the director calls for and it's like, Oh shit and you actually it, you get real emotion. You know, I, I don't imagine that it was done in one take by any means, but you get to see that real raw emotion. and that's rare a lot of times. One thing that
1: that'll add on to what to what circus said, there was true real tension. I'm sitting on the edge of my seat in a theater thinking, how is this going to go? Right? And you're wondering, you're like, and you, you know, as he's describing everything that supposedly Kylo's doing, Like, is he really? And then the saber goes off. You're like... And that is something that I feel like that they, even if you disagree with how and what they killed him with, it's shocking.
0: But it's so powerful.
1: It is so shocking. And then, you know, like the saber flies up and then she catches it. And then they're fighting all these guards and it's an awesome epic scene. They're fighting together in tandem. Mm -hmm. And then for a second, fleeting second, you're like... Did he just turn? You know, did he just turn to the light to not kill her? Because the whole previous movie was him being pulled and pulled and pulled. And then him him killing his dad was part of cementing the fact, no, I. this is me, damn it, I'm dark side. Right. You know, he wanted it so much that, you know, he tearfully killed his dad. You know, he, he did not want to, but he had to. Mm-hmm. And now here we are here, and here and now his slow emotional buildup with Ray that they did throughout the movie with the two of them doing the force connect thing that Snoke was a part of pulling him force face the, Time force face Time pulling him to the light. And then you're like, did he, what does what, this mean? You know? And then at the end you see it and then he uses it to grasp power and ass- assert himself further into the dark side. You're like, there was a pull and he resisted it. And he resisted it just like the UE've always seen on the other side. Mm-hmm. And now he's trying to, to pull her in. And there's genuine emotion. He cares about her.
0: Well, and there's there's good foreshadowing in the scene on um or when they when Luke and Ray are in the Jedi Temple and mm-hmm. she's doing her little uh meditation, yeah. Floating rocks, the whole shebang, and Luke is terrified, and the first thing he says was or is you went straight to the dark. You didn't even resist it. That is perfect f- foreshadowing for the Red Room scene mm-hmm. because Kylo extends his hand, join me, and she resists it. She she she, she
1: remembered her failure. Yep. Just like, you know, and, and that's a callback to, to stuff we've seen in like Empire mm-hmm. where, you know, each time that Luke, you know, failed, you know, um when he's getting ready to leave and Yoda is in Obi-Wan are trying to tell him don't go. And finally, when they realize there's no talking about, you know, talking him out of it, you know, Yoda's like, remember your failure at the cave. You gave in there. Do not give in now, please. Yep. You know, don't. And Luke didn't, uh, speaking of Luke, I think it's going to be the last thing that we're going to talk about here today. Um, Mark Hamill reveals George Lucas's shocking ending to Star Wars Episode Nine. That's interesting. Uh, Star Wars creator George Lucas intended for Jedi Master Luke Skywalker to die at the end of Episode Nine, according to Mark Hamill. I happen to know that George didn't kill Luke until the end of Nine, after he trained Leia, which is another thread that we that was never really played upon in Last Jedi. Leia's Luke's sister was trained as a Jedi Knight in and, and, and the since-discarded canon of the original extended universe. Hamill's re- uh, re- revelation marks the first time that it, w- that it was lurk, uh, learned that Lucas uh, originally intended to close the episodic Star- uh, Skywalker saga with Luke's death. Uh, the Last Jedi writer-director, Ryan Johnson, killed Luke uh, by its end, uh, the, the disillusioned Jedi spawning a force projection of himself, of course, uh, in that movie. Uh, exhausted after doing all that Luke died with peace and purpose In front of the twin sons and faded of the Way You know uh, Sort of like closing his arc At the beginning of the twin sons And then at the right. end Beautiful cemetery Absolutely like uh, George he had, he had an overall arc if, uh, if he didn't have all the details He sort of had an overall feel For where the sequel trilogy was going But this was more like a relay race Hamill said of the sequel trilogy uh, which was uh, first marked out by J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan for Force Awakens before being handed off to Johnson. You run and hand a torch off to the next guy, and he picks it up and goes. Uh, he he's, he's talking about how George originally had like this plan, this plan, this plan, this plan, and now... With this new sequel trilogy, you had J.J. doing all this work and leading up. And now he's like, hey, Ryan, you go do stuff with it. And Ryan does all all this work and does this stuff. And he goes, here you go, back at you. And now J.J.'s going to come in and do whatever he wants to do to finish it off. Mm-hmm.
0: And It'll be really interesting to see, I don't want to say retcon, but how much stuff he tries to steer down a different path.
1: It's going to be interesting because uh, he has the freedom to do so. Mm-hmm. Just kind of like how... Everyone always imagine like what's Luke doing? Oh my gosh, how's he gonna react to seeing his lightsaber? And who would have thought he just throws it across, like across the like like down the cliff? You know, right. who would have thought that? But it but it made for a great moment. It made for a great laugh. It's like, wait, what? Because and honestly, what a great opening scene for for that to get across right away. I'm done with this shit. No. And everyone's like, wait, what? And that's exactly the point, is that you're getting introduced too much and very much different Luke Skywalker than who who you last saw in, in Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a very different person.
0: You know, one thing that I would really enjoy, I would like to sit down, if I could get my hands on it, and read George Lucas's original uh, kind of screenplays for his prequel trilogy Mm -hmm. because from everything that I've read over the last 15 years that he had everything I don't want to say finalized but he had the basic framework a lot of story written for what his original prequel or I'm sorry sequel trilogy (laughs) to the original trilogy was trilogy was going to be and then you know there's the expanded universe stuff where The Empire was building the Death Star to prepare for the Yuzan Vong invasion. You know, that's something that a lot of young people don't even know what it is. Yeah. It's this terrible alien race that was coming in to wipe out all existing life and enslave and, you know, do all kinds of stuff. More parallels with the United States and modern warfare and all kinds of other stuff. But it would be really... Interesting to see after episode nine if if that would be something that because you know he's got it it's in his vault somewhere yeah it would be really interesting to see him release that and be like well I'm glad you guys have all enjoyed this trilogy of movies good bad or indifferent here's what I originally planned for it
1: it'd be really neat to see him kind of release that and put that out there for people to read uh, even you know just because you know people would people would flock oh, to that in droves yeah. Uh, lastly, uh, with what Luke says is that Luke, Mark,
0: we know him as Luke.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, they, uh, he said ultimately Luke's fate is in JJ's hands, whatever. If JJ wants to do anything with him, uh, going forward, it's all him explaining that he would like to see him return as a force ghost or as he put frightening force ghost.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't know that I want. Luke to be a frightening force ghost. But I've I've told you many times as w- as we've discussed Star Wars, I would love to see, you know, Rey finishes out the movie episode 8 with the Jedi texts. So the Jedi live on through her and through those books. Yoda's obviously still kicking around in the astral plane as we you know, just saw, yeah, doing his force ghost stuff. I would love to see, you know, maybe she's in a moment of meditation or she's she's actually reading the Jedi text, something that uh, Yoda eloquently put it as not being a page turner. Um, <laughs> page turners, they are not.
1: That that was one of that is probably my favorite scene out of the entire.
0: Oh, it movie. was great, but it would be really, you know, a really good kind of um, Easter egg. Right, Easter eggs not a bad. Or is a bad way to put it. Like, uh, kind of taking care of the fans if, say, she's sitting on the Falcon or somewhere just thumbing through these texts, and Yoda pops up next to her, and then Obi Wan pops up, and then Luke pops up, and then Qui Gon pops up, and maybe not all at the same time, but all of these really influential Jedi Masters, maybe even Mace Windu, um, you know, Luke is her teacher, whether he wanted it or not. If he appeared to her as a Force ghost and Yoda appeared to her as a Force ghost, and then it's like, remember remember that voice you heard in Mazda's castle when you... I'm going to say that when you hear Obi-Wan as, a, you know, the echoes of yeah. the Force when she grabs the lightsaber for the first time, that she actually heard that too. That's not just a thing for fans. Yeah. Um, so, well, because it
1: said, Ray, these are your first steps. And right. It was calling out the, uh, in a way, whether or not it is intended for him to have any relation to her, whether it's family or otherwise. Right. As theorized by a lot of fans. But, that was done to reach out to her and, you know, like, awaken what's inside of her. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. But to continue, to continue Yoda's spiel about failure and, and Luke's, final understanding and acceptance of what failure is and, you know, how different, how even though, you know, he puts it perfectly, the hubris of the Jedi, um, how that was necessary in a way to get them to where they are and, and kind of build a new groundwork and improve. How powerful would that be to, to have Luke say, well, this is Master Yoda mm-hmm. and this is Master Obi-Wan. These two taught me how to be who I am. I failed them. Obi-Wan failed Yoda. Yoda failed Qui-Gon. You know, obviously Qui-Gon was not Yoda's master, but... Right. So, I, I, I think that would be really neat to see. And then, he, and then he, like you said, Hayden Christensen... Yeah. ...coming back as Anakin or Vader.
1: I would love to see Anakin, because I would love to see him appear to, uh, to, to Kylo. And... Be like him, almost kind of be like, hey, I've been where you are.
0: You're doing it wrong, man.
1: Yeah, don't. And then, of course, Kylo and his arrogance. I'm going to be better than you, stronger than you. I've already ousted my dude.
0: You underestimate my power.
1: Yeah, exactly. And he's like, I've heard this voice before. I've heard it all before. Mm -hmm. He goes, you will fall. You know, you're predicting it, right? He goes, you will fall. If you continue down your path,
0: yep, I would love to see any any morsel of either of those things, if not both.
1: Now, I did read recently where um, it's in the expanded universe, which is no longer canon, but Anakin appears shortly after the Battle of Endor uh, to Leia, uh-huh. and she's like coming home and uh, to her residence, and there in the dark room is just this. This, this figure with, like, long hair. And she's like, who is in my house? Or whatever. And then she realizes that she could see through him. And he introduces himself as her father. And she's like, get out. Well, first she whispers, Vader. Then, get out. And then he's like, "I," he goes, look, I'd, I may not be able to come to you ever again. Because you, you've been sort of awakened to your Force sensitivities. It's how I'm able to come to you right now. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't know if there's ever going to be enough or better time or a time at all where I'll be come to see you again. I want your forgiveness. I have been forgiven. That's why I'm able to be here. But it's important to me that you forgive me. Mm-hmm. She and basically she is offended by this. You know? How dare you? You know? You have do- I fought with my very life and breath against you, and now I'm insulted by the fact that knowing that I am your father or that you're my father. Right. And he's just like, it's so important to Anakin. It's like, I failed. I messed up. You know, I am not that guy. And it, in the end, she's like, I might be able to forgive you for torturing me all those years ago. But I can never forgive you for torturing Han. That's powerful stuff. And it sort of ends like that, and you know, she, eventually, apparently, she finds uh, and reads a uh, diaries of Shmi, or is that how you say her name? Yeah, Shmi, uh, Anakin's mom, and. And in, in, in the diary is descriptions and stories of when Anakin was a kid. And then she's able to sort of digest the fact that he wasn't always this person. And she's able to accept the fact that Anakin was lured and tempted by the dark side and became someone else. Right. And at that point, only then could she forgive Anakin. Not Vader. Not Vader. Uh, but this is very interesting because... You know, as we saw in the altered versions, we the Force Ghost version that is appeared, because I don't know if it's ever really stated if they're allowed to appear the way they want or if they appear the last, like the way they were when they were last in the light. Or, or- it
0: could be a perception thing. Yeah. You know, Obi-Wan appears to Luke as old Obi-Wan. Um, Obi-Wan might have, or Qui-Gon might have appeared to Obi-Wan on Tatooine as. Young Qui Gon, you know, how, even though that's not him, yeah. E- yeah, even though that's not how he himself is appearing, that's how the individual is perceiving them.
1: You know, and that's one reason why I heard that perhaps they originally that in the script for Last Jedi they had it was not Yoda, it was Obi Wan, because who better to teach a lesson to Luke mm-hmm. than his original teacher, right? And have that moment in the two, but they were like, well, Luke never saw him as a young man. He's always saw him as, as as the older as the older wise man, and of course now the only actor we have around uh, to play him is Ewan McGregor, mm-hmm. which you could make him look older and have a different perception. But I mean, if you're going to utilize Ewan McGregor, utilize him as the way that he would have looked uh, towards the end of the run there at least, and you know you you, you could always do it just kind of like how they did when they just input young Anakin and over uh, Sebastian Shaw or whatever his name was mm-hmm. like the original uh guy at the end who played Vader or old Anakin or right. uh, curly from the three stages all of it uh you could easily just like well you know uh, and have Luke not even react to it. it's like oh yeah you're Obi-Wan but they decided well it, may, it might actually make more sense and be more powerful if it was Yoda
0: well Yoda taught Luke more than obi-wan
1: ever did of course
0: you know obi-wan was only with luke like obviously throughout luke's childhood very briefly but he only taught him like the real basics and early over a couple of hours yeah you know so
1: and and when you think about that and when you think about his entry into this whole new world people were critical of how much time ray spent and she she spent more time with luke than he spent with obi-wan yep absolutely and then how long was luke even with with Yoda
0: for maybe a couple of days at the most at, at the maybe a week and because we're
1: not really too sure on how long Leia and Han and they were and the others were on the run for how long were they at cloud because it seems like they were at cloud city for only a couple of hours less than a day mm-hmm. before finally they got turned over to the Empire but it, uh, I would love to see Anakin come back as before I would love to see the, the others ultimately it has to be Luke, even if they do nothing else. Mm-hmm. Luke, I think, has to make one more appearance.
0: Well, I I think if they're gonna have Luke, they need to have Yoda also. That would be because awesome. they've already had Yoda, and you know we've talked about in our review of Last Jedi how Yoda is still being the teacher to Luke. Yes, you know he's yeah. he's kind of poking him and prodding him and laughing at him. You know because Yoda's Yoda has a, a really good character development that a lot of people don't key in on. He changes a lot um in his isolation well he think about how much of failure he has to ponder on himself and how much of
1: that he goes what did i do wrong mm-hmm. because the the wisdom that he's imparting onto Luke he learned that
0: that's right so um especially you know if Luke attains the power or i I would say the discipline to become a force ghost especially you know based on Ray's need obviously she still needs instruction and and the texts aren't I don't think enough, um, for the story. Um, but I, if, if we only got Luke and Yoda, that would be fine. If we only got Luke, that would be fine. I would love to see you and Gregor or you and McGregor and maybe, um, you know a little bit of Qui Gon action in there, but
1: it would be awesome. But it, like, as far as like, you know, it's the 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 same reason why you own, like why Yoda appeared to Luke and not Qui Gon, mm-hmm. that's because of the story is important for that.
0: But you know, may, maybe at the end of the movie, say the end of the, we're gonna finally send the trilogy off, and this is the end, and Ray is gonna start her own Jedi Temple. Mm-hmm. Who better to have there as advisors than some of the greatest Jedi masters in history? You know, I think. If it was just an image, n- no dialogue or anything, that would be a perfect time to put in Qui Gon and and, and Obi Wan. So. And that also begs there's so the many question- different things
1: you can do. That also begs the question, and I, and I think we're gonna leave it with this: that's if this movie trilogy ends on a positive note. Right. It's gonna be interesting because they they do they they took the hourglass and literally turned it completely upside down. And reset the flow mm-hmm. with this last Jedi movie, and I feel like we're gonna get that again. And it's not gonna be as easy to predict the ending. Maybe it will be a happy ending for everybody.
0: Well, what what's your thought? I mean, just just basic throwing throwing it on the wall and see if it sticks. Positive <sighs> or negative?
1: Man, i I can almost see bittersweet.
0: I could see that too. I think that even with movies like Rogue One, um, you know, as as they're embracing on the beach, accepting their impending doom, so powerful. That's such a powerful scene, And, and I'm really glad they did it that way. I'm glad it was not we magically found out how to escape this planet as it's being destroyed by the Death Star. You know, we zoomed away in a ship that we stole. I'm really glad they didn't do it that way because life. Life as we know it is not all sunshine and rainbows. Life in in their their uh, you know their version of existence is definitely not sunshine and rainbows. So I I personally would appreciate a uh, bittersweet ending. I do not see them doing it with Ray's character
1: though. No. I just wonder, like I I kind of see the bittersweet ending with with Kylo's character with 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 Ben's character more. Where maybe he turns in the end, but he's not.
0: It's too far gone. Yeah, yeah, I could see that.
1: Maybe uh, for those of you who are really nerds, uh, like 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 the Kuja character in Final Fantasy IX, where you know he he does all this evil shit and all this bad shit, and then the end, he he kind of saves everybody, uh, and with with some of his last energy that he has, Mm -hmm. and then then you're like, oh my god, he saved! He did something good, and she's like, come with me, and he's like can. And she's like, and of course, she's like, no, come on. I find yes, come on, grab my hand. And he's like, this has got to end here. I think that would be pretty cool and powerful. Yeah. Especially when you have a character who's who has been re- repeatedly pulled to the light.
0: Yeah, pulled back and forth. Yeah.
1: You know? And now he's the, sole, he's the sole dude. He's the head dude. And now he has all that weight on him. And he's known for making erratic, crazy decisions that are not necessarily popular with some of his underlings. So... Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, Oh, man, we got to wait so long after Solo for that.
0: Yeah, that's that's unfortunate, but the good thing is we've got Solo not long from now. You're right, and we're going to look
1: at that again here in another month as we get closer. Maybe we'll get another trailer for Infinity War to talk about. I hope so, Uh, but I think that's going to wrap it up for us here today. Thank you guys for joining us. This has been an awesome first episode. Great talk, great discussion with my good friend Tyler. No, I thank you guys for joining us here for our free first premiere episode on the Journey into Comics Network. Of course, you can find that at journeyintocomics.com and on podcast services across the globe on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, all that kind of stuff. You can check out the archives over on YouTube. You can check us out on social media, Journey into Comics Network on Facebook. And you can also check us out on Twitter, JIC, or, uh, JIC Network on Twitter. We're also like all across the place on Instagrams and stuff like that. Uh, you expect to see more, uh, and updates when to find, where to find this podcast over on patreon.com slash journey into comics. That's where we're going to be for here going forward. Episode two is going to be over there and you guys will definitely hear and know about it. Whether you're listening to the network, it's going to be plugged heavily. We definitely want you guys to come and follow us over there. And, uh, we hope that you do. And we look forward to growing and talking more, nerding out more about Star Wars with you guys over there. And, uh, Until then, I guess, uh, I've been Brando. I've been Tyler. May the Force be with you. Have a good one.